Father, as we go to take communion tonight, every one of us are in agreement, we unify. Lord, we forgive any person right now that we need to forgive. We let it go. We ask your forgiveness, Lord, if there's been any type of being judgmental or critical or prideful over anyone. Lord, we ask your forgiveness for that and let the blood of Jesus get in between us and any sowing and reaping that would be there. But Lord, help us have your heart and mind. We pray tonight, if there's been any pridefulness or rebellion in any way, forgive us. If there's been, uh, you know, any ungodly fear, some people struggle with that. And with that may be ungodly control that's been there. And maybe things have been out of order or there's been division or dishonor and disrespect toward people. Lord, we ask your forgiveness, Lord, that things will be made right. Also, if there's been idols in our life, anything that's too important, anything that's eclipsed our devotion to you, anything that's tried to be a distraction in our lives or things we've put our trust in other than you, Lord, we ask your forgiveness for all the idolatry and also with sins of the mouth, any gossip or slander, uh, what the Bible calls Loshanhara, just a sin, evil speaking. Lord, we ask your forgiveness, anything using your name in vain or whatever. Father, also, if there's areas of dishonesty or dishonoring of parents or authority, we ask you to forgive us. If there's been, you know, sins sexually, the Bible says looking with lust is sin. It's an adultery of the heart. And Lord, if there's been anything that hasn't been sexually pure and holy before you, we ask your forgiveness that you cleanse and wash your people. And maybe there's some that struggle with that. And Lord, as we take communion, I ask you to reach down in people tonight and just take those things out where there'll be a freedom, Lord. Also, if there's areas of um, unforgiveness, bitterness, hatred in the heart, or sometimes there's things in people, the Bible says if you hate in your heart, it's the same as murder. Sometimes there's this this strife and anger and hatred that's built up in people. And we ask your forgiveness for that because, again, we forgive everyone from our hearts and let it go. And finally, Lord, if there's been covetousness and greed and materialism, the love of money, anything, Lord, that hasn't pleased you, we ask your forgiveness, Lord, that we be clean and pure and holy before you washed in the blood of Jesus right now. So, Lord, as we take communion... I want you guys tonight to really get focused with me here. This is going to be powerful. Lord, as we take communion, we thank you, Lord, for the awesome power of your body and your blood. And we remember that the night you were betrayed, that you took from that Passover meal, and you held up that afikoman bread that was hidden and brought back and broke it up, and you blessed him. Baruch Which means, bless you, Lord God, King of the universe, who's given us the bread from the earth. But, Lord, we thank you that you are the bread of life and that by your stripes we're healed. And we remember the power, Lord, of what you did on Calvary with your body, laying down your body like that. And also the blood you shed. You held up that third cup of redemption, Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu Melechon, Borei, Priyagof, and you blessed it, which means bless you, Lord of God, King Universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. And you passed around and said, do this in remembrance of me. And, Lord, this is the cup of redemption. And so I want to say something before we take communion tonight. I know some of you guys know this, but uh, this is very connected to Yom Teruah. And I'm going to do just little nuggets as we go. But during the time that Jesus lived, that ancient Jewish culture, 
they would be, say there was a young man that wanted to get married. And you'll see the parallel here with Jesus and his bride, okay? And think about what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 5. He said that he talked about the, you know, the husband and wife coming together and the two becoming one. And he talked about how it's a mystery of Christ and the bride. But anyway, if a young man wanted to get married, maybe he would go out to the area where there was a well because it was the young lady's chore to go out and draw water from the well. And he would look and maybe he would see a young lady because they would have obviously all been virgins, but he saw a young lady that really caught his attention. And he wanted to have her as a wife, and so he would go to the father of the bride. And he would tell him his intentions, I want to marry this young lady. And the father would have to set a price. He would say, well, what do you have? And he would let him know, well, you know, I have this many camels, this many sheep, you know, I have this I can give you and that. And this is the dowry. And they would barter a little bit. I'm sure the father would be like, oh, wait a second, you know, I raised this young lady, fed her her whole life. I think you can do better than three sheep. And so he said, all right, all right. I'll get a few more sheep and this and that. And he would set the price. And this was the dowry. This is the to be purchased, you know, as a wife. And so the young man and the father would work out the payment, how that was going to take place. And there had to be a contract. It's called a ketubah today. A contract that was drawn out. But as, as this young man's intentions were known, he would be invited to the house and then the young lady would be brought in and the father would tell her say look you know this young man wants to marry you I've agreed to it the contracts here he can sign it's a marriage contract and primarily what would be in it was him taking care of her and he's agreed to it I've agreed to it and they would pour a glass of wine and set it on the table and if she was okay with it she would drink that glass of wine and set it down and she was agreeing to be his wife. And once she did that, once she drank that cup of wine, you have to understand in that culture that once she agreed to that and that payment was made and that contract signed, she's as good as married. And so from that moment on, she would begin to put a veil over her face, which she never did before, but it was a sign that I'm off limits. I belong to somebody else. And then he would go. He would have to go to prepare a place for her. So he would leave. And he could be gone up to two years. But he would go back to his father's house. And he would begin to build a bridal chamber. He'd be in there, you know, hammering and nailing away, getting everything ready. And, and he's excited. He's wanting to go get his bride. But the father his father watched over and his father would be out now son you know look that corner over there is not square and you know that you halfway did that board and there's a good wind coming it's going to fall and lie will hit your new wife in the head so you need to take your time and do this right and he'd go in there and make sure that everything was set up right and built right see nobody knew and this was a saying that was very common in the hebrew culture if you were to say back then, no man knows the day nor the hour, but the father, everyone I'm thinking of, a guy going to prepare a bridal chamber because his father only knew when it would be done. Does this make sense? It was an idiom for that time. 
And so his father's watching him, and he's working every day diligently. He's building a bridal chamber. He's preparing a place for her. He's gone away to prepare a place for her. And finally, one day, the father comes out, and he looks at it and says, Son, I believe that you're ready to go get your bride. No man knew the day nor the hour but that father. It was in him to make that decision. And so the father said, You can go ahead and get things ready to go. And in this culture, it was customary that now he would go like a thief in the night. And so every night, for the last however long this took, every night that young lady would wear a veil during the day, but she would go home, and she would go to bed, and she would make sure that her lamp had plenty of oil, and the wick was trimmed, and it would be set by her bed. And she would also make sure she had some extra oil by her bed. Because he could come at 3 or 4 in the morning, and she knew that that would probably, the oil be burned up, and she needed to make sure she had some extra oil. Y'all following all the parallels here? And she was really anticipating his coming. I mean, even though it could take a year, year and a half, two years, every night she went to bed, she was anticipating, could this be the night he shows up? So she went to bed with that expectation, and she was ready to go at any time. And she was keeping that veil during the day. She was keeping herself pure. She wasn't going to be sleeping around. She was going to keep herself pure for him. So the time comes. The father of the groom says, go get her. So like a thief in the night, he would get his friends together. And they would begin to go down toward her house. And the friend of the bridegroom would be shouting out, behold, the bridegroom comes. He's shouting real loud. It might be blasting a shofar. And everybody knew what was going on when they heard this. Oh, somebody, somebody's about to get you know, married. Here they come. The wedding processional. And so the guy would come. And traditionally, the father would have the daughter maybe uh, you know, on the second story. And so he would take his ladder and put it up there. And he would go up and catch his bride away. Now, she had extra oil. She was ready. She's dumping. She hears him. She's dumping her extra oil in the lamp. She's trimming the wick. She's ready to go. He climbs up there. He grabs her out the window that she comes out the window. Remember this. He catches her away through an opening. Okay. They go down the ladder and now they're going to be married. Now here's what happens. They go to a place now where there was a chopa, which would be like a large tallit, a large covering. And there'd be somebody there that's going to perform the wedding. And the bride and the groom would come together and their families were there they were ready to celebrate and they would exchange the whatever need to be exchanged as far as vows and they went through the marriage there but see nobody believed remember this even though she drank the betrothal cup she was waiting for him but their marriage had not been consummated yet y'all hear what i'm saying and even though they stood under the chopa and they and they they um, took the vows and, and it was sanctified and they're ready. Nobody considered them married in this ancient culture until they went and consummated that marriage. And this would seem kind of weird today, but this is the way they did it. And so they had had a special place where they could go be alone. And they would go from that place and they would go consummate the marriage. Now follow me because this is interesting. Now, because she kept herself a virgin and they had sexual relations together for the first time, there would be blood that was shed. There was an individual that would be a witness 
that would simply be off at a distance. And whenever they were done consummating their marriage, the young man would come out with the sheet that had the blood, and he would show the witness. And the witness would start celebrating and would go back and tell everybody it's done. The, the wedding, they're, they're married now, and everybody would celebrate for seven full days. I think that's a long time for a party. They would party for seven days, okay? And the bride and groom would come out, and they would celebrate with them. But the bride, she would take that sheet that had a stain of blood, and she would fold it up, and she would put it in her belongings because it was a sign, it was a blood covenant between God and between her and her husband that they're one now. The two became one. A blood covenant. And she would keep that in her belongings because there might come a time down the road where they went through a rocky patch and maybe he was talking about divorce or something. And she would pull that back out and say, you need to remember that we have a blood covenant before God. And see, the way that this is paralleled, I think everybody can see it. The communion cup When Jesus had that Passover meal, he drank the first cup with his disciples. He drank the second cup, which was judgment and deliverance. And then he instituted communion with the third cup. But he never finished that fourth cup. As a matter of fact, he told the disciples, I'm not going to drink this with you again until I drink it in the kingdom to come. And so what I want you to understand tonight as we do this, we take Holy Communion, is this is your betrothal cup. Jesus came, and when he died on the cross, he paid the dowry for us to be his bride. Him and the Father worked out the payment plan, and that was the payment, his blood. And Jesus said, I've gone to prepare a place for you, and I'll come again. But only the Father knows the day or the hour. Not even the Son of Man, only the Father. And whenever we take of this communion cup and we drink of this, just like the young lady drank that cup of wine on the table, we're agreeing, Lord, we want to be your bride. We want to live a veiled life where we live holy and separate from this world. We're not going to cheat on you with sin. We're not going to cheat on you with other gods. We're going to be faithful to you, Jesus, until you come. We're looking for your coming. And when Jesus comes, he's going to come as a thief in the night. And he's going to catch us away. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 4, I saw heaven open and I heard a voice say, come up here. There's literally going to be like an open heaven. And the Bible says that the dead in Christ will rise first. And those that are alive and remain will be changed in a blink of an eye. You'll be changed into a glorified body. And we're going to meet the Lord in the air. And then we're going to go to that wedding feast. And see, right now when we take this, we're looking for that time. We're looking for his coming. We're betrothed to him. But when he comes and he catches us away like a thief in the night, our responsibility is that we live a veiled life of holiness, but also that we are constantly having extra oil, keeping our wicks trimmed, and looking for his coming. He could come at any time. And when he does come and catch us away, we're going to go to that marriage supper of the Lamb, that wedding feast. And at the marriage supper of the Lamb, Jesus is going to take that fourth cup 
that he refused to drink when he was here. And this is now going to be the cup of consummation. And as he drink, he passes that around, and we all drink of that, it's going to consummate our marriage to him. Isn't this good, you guys? And then we're going to have a seven-year party with Jesus, for real. A seven-year celebration. While the earth is going through the most difficult times it's ever been through, we're going to be celebrating with our bridegroom. And when Jesus comes, he's coming like a thief in the night, and the archangel is going to shout, and there's going to be the blast of a shofar, and that's going to be us being caught away, just exactly like in the ancient, ancient Jewish culture about weddings. So tonight what I want to do, I want us as we take the Lord's Supper, we're going to bury this down into our lives very deeply. This is a little bit different. Normally here in River of Life, we just take a piece of bread and a, a sip of um, grape juice here, the fruit of the vine. But tonight I want you to do this. We're going to do this three different times and you'll see why. I'm going to ask the Lord to deeply consecrate us unto him and to bring healing to people. How many of you guys will believe with me for that? So as we take this, tonight we're talking about, you know, it's Yom Teruah, Rosh Hashanah time. The feast of trumpets, the blasting of the shofar. We're looking for his coming. And I want to be, and I know you feel this way too, but I want my life to be consecrated and ready for when he comes. And so as we take this, the first thing I want you to do, he goes. The first thing I want you to do, I'm gonna pray, and I want you to agree with me. But you know, take a bite of this and take a sip. But I'm gonna pray for our inner spirit man in our life spiritually. Okay, fathers, we take of communion. First off, Lord, we want to bury this down by faith into our inner man, our spirit area, in our lives spiritually our prayer lives, our time in the word, our witnessing, our spiritual growth, our spiritual fruitfulness. Lord, that spiritually speaking, that part of our lives will be deeply consecrated unto you right now as we bear communion by faith down into that aspect of our lives. It's not bread and it's not fruit of the vine, but it's what it represents. That Lord, the power of the cross to bring a deep consecration to our lives, to bring healing and freedom. And Lord, I pray if there's been anything that somehow defiled somebody's life spiritually, Lord, I'm asking as we take this that there'll be a cleansing right now. If there's been something where somebody had like a broken or a wounded spirit, I want you guys to picture as you take this with me like there was a crack or something, like a wound. But as you take this, It's like the Lord burying that healing down into that place. And God's going to heal people. I believe that. And so, Lord, we pray that there's brokenness or there's defilement, there's wounds of the spirit, man. Lord, as we bury this down into our lives spiritually, I pray for a deep consecration. Lord, I pray for healing to come to those places right now. And that in the days to come, people are going to be more spiritually sensitive than they've ever been. And there's going to be a deep work that you're going to do in our lives. All right, by faith, I want you to take communion and believe God that there be a deep consecration of your life spiritually unto him and healing. Go ahead.
are now into the soul area. This is where a lot of things need to be dealt with. People's memory, their mind, their thought life, their imagination, their emotions. You know, through life, people really been wounded. So, Lord, I pray over the soul area. I just see as I'm praying, like picture different cracks and crevices where people have been wounded in the soul. I want you to believe God with me by faith as we take communion that God is burying healing down into those areas and God's going to close up those wounds. And Lord, I pray where people have been wounded in the soul. But Lord, as we take communion, we bring those places under the power of your body that by your stripes were healed. You came to bind up and heal the brokenhearted. And Lord, that the blood of Jesus will wash and cover and wash away any pollution out of the soul area. And then our soul area, Lord, that there'll be a deep consecration right now in the mighty name of Jesus. That we'll never be the same. That that part of our lives is off limits to the enemy. And Lord, where there's been torment, where there's been wounds, there's been broken hearts, there's been psychological damage. Lord, we're asking you corporately, y'all agree with me. We're asking you corporately right now that there'll be a deep cleansing and there'll be healing and there'll be deliverance by faith. We're going to bury what Jesus did for us at Calvary. We're just, this is just a receiving of what he did by faith. It's a point of contact to believe God that by his stripes we're healed, representing his body and his blood washes and covers us. Lord, we're believing you right now for that soul area, a deep consecration and healing in Jesus' name. Just glorify Jesus and worship him. Let's do this by faith together. physical body as we take the Lord's Supper. Lord, by faith, we bring our bodies under the blood of Jesus. And Lord, that there'll be a deep consecration. The Bible says that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we want our bodies to be very holy and pure. Sexually pure. um, In every way pure. We're not going to defile our temple with things like you know, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, sexual immorality, other areas that people defile themselves. But Lord, we pray as we bury this down into our physical bodies right now, that there'll be a deep consecration in our bodies. Some of y'all where there's been battles in your health, I want you to believe by faith that the power of this is buried down into those areas and God is bringing healing. And Lord, by faith, we thank you for a deep consecration, Lord Jesus. And Lord, for a deep healing in those places, maybe that's been damaged, that's been defiled, that somehow, maybe even demonic torment, 
but Lord that there is a deep consecration right now there's healing and there's life and wherever something has defiled the temple in the past Lord that those places be made holy and pure unto you and we believe we receive it now let it come in our physical bodies in Jesus mighty name just worship the Lord as you take it y'all to agree with me about this too father is the pastor you know this is Israel's civil new year but as the pastor in this seventh month that we're coming into the month of Tishrei Lord I pray that just representing all of river of life in every area every area the ministry the overall health the finances every area the relationships that we have the harvest, everything that is connected somehow to this ministry. Lord, as the pastor, as I take this, Lord, by faith, I'm just bringing the sovereignty of what you did, Jesus, your rule and your reign. You all agree with me? This is powerful. Lord, as I take this on behalf of the ministry, Lord, that every part of this entire ministry is off limits to the enemy. Lord, it's holy ground, and this ministry is going to be a place of an open heaven, It's going to be a place of holiness and purity before the Lord. It's going to be a place of of warm, loving relationships. It's going to be a haven of healing and health. It's going to be a place where people are set free and are going to remain free from the enemy's oppression. It's going to be blessed of the Lord. It's going to be a place of financial blessing and prosperity. And a great open heaven, your glory. Y'all agree with me tonight, Lord, as the pastor. I just, by, by faith as I take this, Lord, we're bringing river of life into a new realm, Lord, of holiness and purity and victory in Jesus' name. There's something so powerful about communion. You know, just like the two becoming one it seems like there's something about the communion table where what represents Jesus' body and blood goes into our body and blood and it's something about the two becoming one it's a mystery but there's something intimate with us and the Lord during the communion table it's very powerful man I feel the glory of the Lord all right I'm going to speak a blessing over you guys. And then after that, we're going to do something really cool with the shofar, okay? Man, I don't know what you guys feel, but I feel the glory coming in this place strong right now. See, when you honor the blood. So, Father, I speak out this is Israel's new year as far as the civil new year here at Rosh Hashanah Yom Teruah time we're leaving the month of Elul where the king was in the field it's a time of of intimacy with the Lord and examining ourselves and getting things right with God that we need to but now the sword of the Lord 
through the shofar blast is going to be released into the coming year. And Father, I speak this blessing as a pastor, as a man of God. I thank you for River of Life, Lord, a people that I feel are very sincere in their heart before you, a people that's humble enough to join with us together in prayer and fasting and, and coming to something like this where we deeply consecrate our lives. And you know, people that weren't sincere and people that aren't the real deal, those type of people will avoid services like this because it's convicting to them. But I'm thankful for a group of people that love the Lord and are real sincere. This is good, but if you might want to bring my volume down just a touch, because it may it may be a little too loud. But if y'all would just give me your best ear, because I'm not going to yell and scream. I'm going to try to just talk real calm tonight and keep my voice. But let me go ahead and pray. If you could agree with me in prayer, Father, we thank you so much for the word of the Lord tonight, Yom Teruah. What a powerful and important sermon. And Lord, I ask you to speak through me tonight to give strength strength to the voice and Lord let there be a strength as this goes forth that the word of the Lord will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do give us good fertile soil of hearts and minds prepare us strengthen us tonight Lord let this word go out as light of revelation and truth and dispel all the darkness lies evil deception and bring truth and revelation let there be a cleansing and a washing of the water the Lord help us to have good fertile soil anoint our eyes and ears and Lord help us get everything out of this you want us to we thank you for it now, for your grace, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're dealing with this. Follow me on the notes, okay? Yom Teruah, it means the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Trumpets. And Teruah has to do with the trumpet blast, okay? And so, I'm going to deal with this just systematically, go through these notes. But man, what an awesome presence of God here tonight. All right, so... What you have to understand about the feast times is this. The seven major feasts are prophetic, a prophetic timeline. And so I'm going to go quickly, so just follow me. At Passover, Jesus died on Passover day. So that would have been on a Wednesday. So Tuesday night, he had what's called an Erev, Erev service where he had a Passover Seder meal with his disciples. Tuesday evening after sundown. They would have lit the candles. They, they would have had a very Jewish Passover meal. And we know the story. The third cup, he instituted communion. He did not drink the fourth cup. He went out to the Mount of Olives. He began to teach. And, and also, after he taught, he went and prayed, remember? He uh, sweated drops of blood. He came back. His disciples were asleep. He's asking them, can't you tarry one hour? And then Judas shows up with the Roman soldiers and Jesus is taken into captivity, and he's submitted to that. He spends the night in jail, In the early in the morning, he, you know, obviously during the night he had a trial, and um, anyway, early in the morning he was flogged, and his back was plowed open, he was, the whipping post would have been horrible. At nine o'clock, when they have the morning sacrifice, a lamb is killed every morning, Jesus is nailed to the cross. Then at noon, the evening sacrifice at 3 would have been moved back to noon because of Passover. At noon, darkness covered the earth, and Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then at 3 o'clock, when the um, Passover lamb is killed, Jesus says, It is finished. And he gives up the ghost. He dies on the cross. And so during this time, Jesus died on Passover. That was fulfilled for years before that. 
every Passover, they're killing a lamb, and it's like a dress rehearsal Israel was doing, preparing for when the true Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, will come and lay down his life on Passover. Jesus has taken off the cross on Wednesday, and he's buried in a tomb Wednesday night. He's in the tomb Wednesday to Thursday night, Thursday to Friday night, Friday to Saturday night. Three full days, three full nights, just like he prophesied would happen. Remember, he said as Jonah was in the belly of the well. And this Jesus fulfilled the feast of unleavened bread because his body was without any sin. His body did not see decay. Some of y'all didn't know that. Then when Jesus died, his body had no sin, so his body didn't decay. It didn't start stinking like other people. He laid in the tomb, his body did, for three days. He's down in the underworld dealing with the devil and other things he had to deal with. But after being in there during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, fulfilling that feast, Saturday evening, early Sunday morning, Jesus raises from the dead on first fruits, on the day of first fruits. And Jesus fulfills that feast as he's raised from the dead. Remember, he appeared to Mary. And then over the course of that time called the counting of the Omer, where they're counting all the way to Pentecost, Jesus is appearing to around 500 people over a 40-day period. Then he's taken up to heaven. And the last 10 days before Pentecost, he tells his disciples, you need to go in Jerusalem and you need to wait for the promise I'm going to send you. They go into Jerusalem. John probably had Levitical blood because he was able to go into the trial where Jesus was. And so he might have had a way of renting like an upper room connected to the temple where they could pray. But it seems like something like that took place. And we know when the day of Pentecost fully came that the Jewish people had to come every Passover and then every Pentecost and then every Tabernacles. They had to come to Jerusalem. So there was millions of people there. At Pentecost, called Shavuot, okay? They came, millions of people came. And that's why on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falls and they begin to speak in other tongues. They're filled with the Spirit. They're acting drunk in the Spirit. They're probably staggering. Some of the people there start kind of laughing at what's going on. Peter starts preaching. But as they're speaking in tongues, it says people of all these different dialects hear them. The reason that they're there is because it's Pentecost. They travel from far regions all over to come. And while the priest is in the temple, now having to wave two loaves that had um, yeast in them, they would do what's called an upward wave called um, a heave offering. And then they would go side to side. And it's interesting. The Holy Spirit falls. He probably shoots out of the Holy of Holies area and begins to fill those that were in the upper room area and they're, they're, they might have been down in the temple area praying, but nonetheless, people see them, and they're speaking in tongues. And while this is going on, it's the day of Pentecost, not the day before, the day after. It is the day. And while they're doing this, the priest, without even knowing what they're doing, have two loaves representing Jew and Gentile, and they're making the sign of a cross, showing that now is the birth of the church. And both Jew and Gentile will come together in Christ because he's the fullness of everything. And so these feasts have been fulfilled. And that's what I love about Yom Teruah, or it's called Rosh Hashanah right now, the head of the year. But God calls it in the Bible Yom Teruah. And it's a day of blasting the shofar. That is the next feast to be fulfilled. 
when we see Jesus come to catch away his remnant bride. That's the rapture, and that's what it is predicting. Then after the rapture, the feast is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. That prophetically foreshadows the seven-year tribulation, the days of Jacob's trouble. When Israel, next week I'm going to deal a lot with that. So if you like end-time prophecy, you like the Hebrew roots, you kind of like meat of the word, uh, I might have a sermon I believe will be a blessing. But anyway, Yom Kippur. And so during that time when the earth is going through the absolute worst time ever, radical, I mean, horrible judgments are coming from heaven on the earth. Um, the nation of Israel is being shaken. And God's, it's the days of Jacob's trouble, not the bride of Christ. The bride is going to be caught away and be at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and we're going to be celebrating and all that. But this is the days of Jacob's trouble. Jacob's name was changed to Israel, remember? It's a shaking regarding Israel. And God's going to prepare them for the coming of Jesus to the earth. And so that's the seven-year tribulation is foreshadowed by Yom Kippur. And then finally, the last feast, tabernacle. The Bible says in John, the first time Jesus came, it said the word became flesh and dwelled among us, but dwelled means tabernacled among us. Some believe Jesus was born during the Feast of Tabernacles, which is very likely, actually. But when Jesus comes, the Feast of Tabernacles is foreshadowing, it's prophetic, it's looking for the time when Jesus will come again, his feet's going to touch the Mount of Olives, but he's going to come back to the earth, he's going to tabernacle among us for a thousand years. Isn't this awesome? That God foreshadowed this. And all of this is played out exactly. I mean, think about it. When Jesus died, he died on Passover day. He's in the tomb during unleavened bread on those days. He raises on first fruits on that day, not the day after, on that day. And when the Holy Spirit's poured out, it's on Pentecost. Not the day before Pentecost, not the day after it. It's on that day. And so these feasts that are coming are going to be, it's a foreshadowing of end time events. The catching away of the bride, the tribulation, and then Christ return to the earth. Those three things. And so, let me just read through these notes. In Revelation 19, verse 7, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. You know, this, this feast is what's called a mikra in Hebrew. It's a dress rehearsal. What we're doing, guys, when we come together and, and we're talking about Yom Teruah, we're talking about the blasting of the shofar, and we come together and, and we're bla some of us, you know, as different people are blasting shofars in different ways. You have to understand something. It's a dress rehearsal. We're hearing the shofar blasted. We're, we're examining ourselves, make sure we're ready for his coming, and we're looking upward. And it's like a dress rehearsal for when the archangel says, God the Father says it's time, and the archangel, the friend of the bridegroom, says, Behold the bridegroom's coming, a shout of the archangel, and a blast, a loud blast of the shofar, and then we're going to be caught up with him. And that's what this is all about. I mean, think about today as we, we took the Lord's Supper, as we've blasted these, the shofar, and we've worshipped, and, and I'm preaching this sermon. Everything from the beginning to the end is all glorifying Jesus Christ and looking for His coming. Everything. Now, according to Jewish tradition, the Lord completed His acts of creation on Yom Teruah. And since on this day the Lord's sovereignty began to expand over the whole world he created, 
because Adam, the first man, also stood in judgment for his sins on this day and was forgiven. This is Jewish tradition, okay? It's not in the Bible. But this day was set as judgment day. I'm going to tell you something, though. I believe there's something to this being judgment day. And I'll tell you why. Because people, you know, you can get up and preach and tell people, and this happens all the time. Preachers will tell people out there, the global body of Christ, you better make sure you're right. You better make sure you're ready. And there's, there's people out there all through the global body of Christ. Some of them are really humble and receptive. Others resent that. And in their hearts, they're bucking up against what they're being told. I'm fine like I am. But I'll tell you something. They can be however they want to be. However people receive it, that's fine. But there's going to come a day when there's going to be a trumpet blast in the sky and those that are ready are going to go and those that are not ready are going to be sitting here and God's going to make the distinction. It's going to be a judgment day in that respect. And you know what? Nobody's going to be able to say anything about it because it's God's final decision. You weren't ready, you're not going, but you are ready and you're going. Who's going to say anything? Nobody's going to be bucking up against the preacher that day. Those that are left behind are going to realize I should have listened. And they're going to get on their faith. And think about all these different scriptures that point to this. There'll be two in a field, one taken, another left. There's going to be ten virgins. All of them are virgins. Five gone, the other five left. It's going to be a judgment day where God is going to sift between the wheat and the tares. And uh, Rosh, or Yom Teruah, Rosh Hashanah, begins what's called Yamim Norim, the ten days of awe. And so between, it starts, um, Yom Teruah actually starts tomorrow, and it'll go ten days and end on Yom Kippur. And this is a time when people are examining themselves. You know, in Elul, the month of Elul that leads up to this, it's believed that it's a special time, um, I believe it's called Yeme Irat, on the days of favor, where people are really humbling themselves, but they're, they're examining their lives. They're getting things right with God because they know that Yom Teruah, Judgment Day, is coming. Isn't that interesting? People are examining themselves. They're getting right. They want to make sure things are right with God. And I encourage you to do this. Make sure that if you need to forgive somebody, you forgive them. Don't get bitter and don't be stubborn about it. If you hold unforgiveness, the only people that you're hurting or the only person you're hurting is really yourself. And not only that, but if you've wronged somebody, right the wrong. If you need to apologize, if you need to um, return something you stole, if you need to make something right, if you spread a rumor about somebody and it's not true and you find out, then you need to go back to those people and tell them, my guys, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that wasn't true. You need to make it right. I'll tell you what, it concerns me seeing how many people out there that have burned other Christians, burned other preachers, burned churches, and they've never gone back and made it right. Y'all hear what I'm saying? It's getting quiet in here. If you've done things, you need to right the wrong, right the wrong. Also, if you need to confess and repent of something, man, deal with it. Because people can get mad at a preacher and they can buck up against him. They'll sit there and smile. Oh, yeah, you know. And they look really good. But on the inside, they're like, I resent this. How dare he challenge me? I'm fine. You know, they have that rebellion in their heart. But on Judgment Day, if they're left behind, they're going to be thinking, if I'd only just listened, if I'd only just humbled myself. And so Peter said this, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus so that 
your sins will be forgiven and times of refreshing will come from the Lord. We want revival. We want God to pour out His Spirit. But I'll close with this later. But let me tell you, as we cleanse our lives, as we humble ourselves and get things right with God, we forgive people, we right wrongs, we get the sin confessed and repented of in our lives, we cleanse our way, what happens? Times of refreshing come from the Lord. At this time, what's called Akedah, the, the teaching about the ram's horn, Abraham, God had spoken to him. See, God wants your whole heart. God was never interested in Abraham actually killing Isaac. He was never interested in Isaac's death. What God was interested in was Abraham's heart being pure. Because he knew when he gave Abraham a son like that after all those years, the tendency would be for Abraham to put that son before God and make an idol out of him. And so God, they're going out there to Mount Moriah, and they're about to climb the mountain, and Isaac looks over at Daddy and says, you know, where's the animal? And Dad's like, you know, God will provide. And they start going up the hill. And I would imagine that Abraham's, you know, really, it's, it's troubling him. And Isaac's probably thinking, this is different. You know, we don't have anything to sacrifice. What's going on? And they get up to the top of the mountain. And, and, you know, Abraham builds an altar. And he has to lay Isaac down. The way that would have been done, his hands and his feet would have been tied and bound. He would have been laid down. Abraham would have had to pull his head back like this because you would slit the throat of an animal. And Abraham's got his head pulled back. And he probably, knowing the culture, he probably lifts up the knife and speaks a blessing to the Lord in Hebrew. And says something to the Lord. And he's going to bring the knife down. He's willing to slit his son's throat. He's willing to do it. But the angel of the Lord catches his arm on the way down and says, look in the thicket. And there's a ram there. And I'm sure Abraham, just such a relief comes over him. And so he gets the ram, sacrifices the ram there on Mount Moriah where later the temple would be built and near where Jesus would die. But anyway, the ram, and so it's believed traditionally in Jewish circles that that's the original shofar because Abraham killed the, the ram, but he kept the horns of it and made like a shofar out of it. We, we don't know for sure, but that's just tradition. But it's a time like Abraham to examine our hearts. Is there any idols? Is there anything in our lives, a relationship, money, making money, anything that has eclipsed our devotion to the Lord? It's a time for introspection and self-examination. It's called Slikot prayers, you know, right before this time of Yom Teruah where, you know, Slikot means pardon us, where people are really confessing and repenting. You know, that doesn't bother me. Um, you know, when I spend time you know, every day I'd actually do this. I spend a little bit of time at the beginning making sure things are right. Lord, if I've done anything, show me. And, and there's times I've had to apologize to my wife. Maybe I got mad about something. There's times I've even apologized to Brianna. You know, because maybe I got too upset about something or said something in anger. But, you know, it's, it's making sure that things are right between you and God. You know, if you need to forgive somebody, apologize, you need to make things right, but don't let anything get in between you and the Lord. That, and that pride, that stubborn pride saying, you know, I'm fine like I am. You know, that person deserved that or whatever. That's arrogance. It, let's humble ourselves. But anyway, I spend time every day examining myself and coming through the blood so that there's no static on the line between me and the Lord and there's nothing in my life 
that's going to be a hindrance. So these times of repentance like this don't bother me. I think the body of Christ needs them. And I'll tell you what, I grew up most of my life in church because my parents being Christians had taken us to church. But I don't remember very many times where a pastor would get up and tell a whole church, let's have a season of prayer, fasting, repentance, and make sure everything's right with God so that times of refreshing from the Lord will come. And because of that, most churches out there are pretty dead by and large. What would happen if corporately all of us would get on our face and really deal with things for real? The Holy Spirit would move in. People start apologizing to one another. The rights, you know, wrongs are being right, made right. People are confessing their sin. Everything, you see what I'm saying? All of a sudden, the presence of God would come in. The Bible says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Another thing during this time, there's three. starts with the letter T or really um, the Tet and then also the um, Tzade. But anyways, it goes like this. The Teshuva, repentance. Tzedakah, righteous giving. Tefillah, prayer. This is a time, you know, as we go into tabernacles especially, to sow an offering to the Lord. Man, connect your finances to these special times but a time to repent. You know, John the Baptist, when he came, and he was preaching so hard and so fiery, and he was calling people to repentance, and he was water-immersing people. It really, as far as John being a prophet doing that, that was pretty, you know, awesome and different. But the season of repentance and people hearing a message to repent and get right with God, to shuva and to immerse in water and all, that wasn't anything radical. That happened all the time. And I believe with all my heart that we are living in the last days. And I want you to think about this just for me. I'm just trying to stir people up to think about the coming of the Lord. When you, when you look at the fact that Jesus died around, you know, 33 A.D. as we, or, yeah, as we know it, okay? Think about 2,000 years from that. If our calendar's remotely right, and I don't think it's way off, but you get around 2033 time frame, Take seven years from that for the tribulation. You look at 2026. I mean, I'm just making a point. I don't know the date or the hour, and I'm not making a prediction, but my goodness, we have 10 years or so if that's the case. You see what I'm saying? We don't have a lot of time. And all the signs of the Lord's coming are actually in the earth where the Lord could come back anytime. How do we know that He won't come back tomorrow on Yom Teruah? How do we know that this will be the last one we celebrate before we're with him? We won't have another one next year. So what I'm saying is the coming of the Lord is near. And I believe that God has been drawing. I've been hearing messages about this now for the last several years. God's really let there be like a, a love for the communion table. He's been drawing people back to the communion table. There's been more teaching on it. There's been more books written on it in the last you know, decade or so. And I believe it's prophetic because God is using the communion table to help us be intimate with the Lord and to deal with things, to come under the blood and let there be a deep consecration. If you want more about that, I did a series called Communion Hebrew Roots on our website, those that hear this, that you can listen to. I can't dwell on it. But when the children of Israel, when it was time for the children of Israel to leave Egypt, how many of y'all know it's almost time for us to get out of here? When it was time to go, God had them have Passover. And they brought their family under that blood of the Lamb. I really believe that God is using the communion table to help get us ready for His coming. Another thing, the shofar. 
you've seen over the last couple, you know, 20 years or so, this explosion of shofars in our nation. And they were never here before. I mean, among Jewish people, but not in Christian circles. Revival, especially the Brownsville revival, really caused the Hebrew roots and the, the shofar to come to the forefront. And God's trying to get our attention, sounding an alarm, to get ready for that shofar blast. And another thing, God's been pouring out His Spirit. How many of you guys know it's not about falling in the floor? It's not about decor. It's not about a charismatic personality. It really is about the Lord Jesus Christ. It really is. And the, the Holy Spirit over the last couple decades has been pouring, being poured out on all flesh. God's sending a great revival in the earth. And I believe the greatest revival is about to hit. But this move of God is to get us ready to meet Him in the air. It is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit to give the wise virgins extra oil. The foolish virgins sit back and mock the move of God. They don't go. They, they make fun of it. Those are the foolish virgins. We'll see if they're ready. But the wise virgins have extra oil. And the Bible, I know according to the Word of God, they're going to be ready. And God's wanting to fill us with extra oil. He's preparing a bride. Has anybody sensed this? God is preparing a bride. The Holy Spirit is at work getting us ready. Interesting about Yom Teruah, the Feast of Trumpets. It would have been an idiom. Remember me sharing earlier in Jewish culture, if you said no man knows the day nor the hour, they would have automatically thought in their mind they're referring to a young man that went to prepare a bridal chamber for his bride. And his father only knows when it's time. And he'll send him. And so when Jesus was saying, no man knows the day nor the hour, he was using a Jewish idiom to describe his coming. Is anybody seeing this? It's interesting because this is the only feast that we don't really know the exact day nor the hour that it begins. Because it's, it's dependent on the new moon crescent. See, you look at the sky, all of a sudden, if, you, if we didn't have modern technology, if you live back in that, you're just looking at the sky, you see the moon go into that new moon phase, or at least where it's completely black. And you don't know the exact day, nor the exact hour, that that is going to move to begin to crescent. You would have to look up, and you would have to be ready for that. Is anybody seeing the symbolism here? And what they would do, the Kohanim, the priest, they were the ones that kept up with all this. The average people were just farming their fields and doing what they do. But the Kohanim had to keep up with this. And they knew it was time. The seventh month, they saw the moon start going into the cycle where it was going to go dark. And so they would send out people to go quite a ways off up on a mountain and they would tell them, when the moon starts to crescent, build a bonfire, and we'll see the bonfire, and we'll begin to blast the trumpets, we'll blast the shofarim, and we'll let people know that it's begun. And that's how it began. No man knew the exact day nor the hour. They had watchmen that were on the hills looking. And when it was time, they would build those bonfires and let everybody know. And the alarm started being sounded. And remember that the shofar was the sound that came forth on Mount Sinai 
when the law was given, when God the Father married himself to the nation of Israel, and he gave them the Torah through Moses, that shofar blasted to prepare the people to receive the word of the Lord and to come in covenant with God. It's connected, the shofar is connected to the voice of God. And, and interesting, this is Israel's civil new year, but in biblical times, the new year was before Passover, right before it. But somehow, over the centuries, it has shifted now to where Yom Teruah is seen as the new year. And it's called Rosh Hashanah because of that. I believe that might be prophetic because the spring feasts are fulfilled and now everybody's looking at Rosh Hashanah as being a new beginning. Revelation twenty one twenty seven. Nothing impure will enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's what matters. Ephesians one thirteen. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation when you believed. You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You know, in, in Jewish culture, they don't accept Christ as their Savior, and it's sad because many of them, uh, there, are, there are many that do. There's Messianic Jews, okay? But over, overall, the majority do not. And it's really sad because they're cut off from the Lord because of that. They're cut off from salvation. And if they would just accept Jesus, you know, we really need to pray for them. God's going to have to help as we pray to open them up to that. But it's sad because every year between Yom Teruah to Yom Kippur, these ten days of awe, they really begin to make sure that they right any wrongs, which is a good thing to do. I encourage you to do that. And they begin to give a lot of offerings, etc. But the reason they're doing it is because they're wanting to get their name written in the book of life. So they'll be ready when they die. And it's sad because if they would just come to Jesus, their name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. And you don't have to have it rewritten every year. You're there. Amen? Salvation is not of works. You know, in the last days, there's a few more things to say here, but in the last days, the Bible said there would be a great falling away, and we're seeing that. We're seeing people that professed Christianity that are now atheists or Buddhists or Muslims. They're witches. In fact, there was a guy recently, i just give you an example of that, contacted me he wanted me to pray with him through skype and i was like all right you know i lined up a time and then he he emails me back and says he had changed his mind and gotten involved in satanism and it felt that was for him or whatever well that's your choice but there's just there's this great falling away that's happening people are just but i'll tell you what's happening god is sifting between the wheat and tares who are really truly his and who are not god knows their heart so this time of blasting the shofar is an awakening, an alarm. The question is, are we really right and are we really ready? Only God knows your heart and only you know. You see, people can come to church and they put on a good show and they act a certain way. But God knows outside of church how people really are. 
It's interesting to me that we begin the year with Passover. You're eating bitter herbs. And you're cleaning what's called what Bedikit Chametz, where you're cleaning it, cleansing out the yeast out of your life, you know. But toward the ending now, the ending of the feast cycles, now you're eating, they eat, you know, like honey and apples, and it's things that are sweet. And this is what I kind of open up talking about. If we'll spend time in the bitterness of dealing with our sin and really repenting and really getting things right with God, we will enter into the sweetness of His presence. The spring feast are like the outer court with Passover. You're getting washed and covered in the blood of the Lamb. Your household is getting the, the yeast purged out. It's the outer court. Then you come to Pentecost and it's like the holy place where God pours out a fresh clothing of power and He empowers you. Remember this last year when we had um, you know, Brother Rick come and minister but that Saturday following, there was just an explosion of power. Remember that? I mean, it was noticeable. There was an empowerment that came in. That's that holy place. But then the fall feast is the holy of holies. Where the glory of God comes down and dwells among us in a greater way. Do you see it? It's a cycle of revival. If people in the body of Christ could pick up on this cycle where God's teaching them, instead of continually having cycles of destruction, cycles of church splits, cycles of, um, you know, different things, now there can be a cycle of really getting cleansed before the Lord, being anointed and empowered like never before, and then coming into a deeper realm of His presence. Then you go back through it. A time of greater cleansing. A time of greater empowerment. And a time of greater glory. Do you see the cycles of revival? I believe God wants us to live in a perpetual state of ever increasing revival. And during this time a prayer could be something like this. Bless you Lord our God King Universe who has chosen us from among the nations. How many are thankful that God chose us from the world? And raised us up and has sanctified us with his commandments. He sanctified us by the blood of Jesus and the washing of the water of his word. You have given us this day of remembrance in regard to the sounding of the shofar as we earnestly look for the soon coming of our Messiah Jesus. So the last couple things are not in your notes. I just want you guys to, to put those down and look this way. When we open this service up, I believe... And I'm going to close with these last couple things, okay? And then we're going to pray for people. But I believe with all my heart that one of the reasons why we've had such an increase of God's presence in River of Life, you know as well as I do, there's not a dead service, okay? It's like it seems to just be an increase after an increase after an increase. The reason why I believe that's there, let me say that there's several reasons, but one is this. Before the spring feast and then before the fall feast, I've asked everybody, let's join together in prayer and fasting. Let's humble ourselves. Let's make sure and get things right with God. If you need to forgive people, if you need to right or wrong, if you need to deal with the sin in your life, let's deal with it. And then we have a deep consecration service like tonight. We come together and we take communion together and we really take time with it. And we really bring our lives under the blood. And my wife and I here in a moment, we're going to pray over you. We're going to anoint you. I brought some oil. I know you guys are pretty familiar with Perry Stone's ministry, but 
Perry, along with Kurt Landry and some others, replicated that oil that was used in the tabernacle. In Exodus 40, listen to this. Then you will take the anointing oil, talking to Moses about the tabernacle. You'll anoint the tabernacle and all that's in it, consecrated all of its furnishings. It'll be holy. So Moses, verse 33, he erected the court all around the tabernacle on the altar, hung up the veil, and Moses finished the work. He did all of it. And he anointed the whole tabernacle. Then verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled upon it and the glory of the Lord filled it. You know, as we anoint you with oil, we're, my wife and I were setting you apart as the temple of the Holy Spirit, the tabernacle, that you're set apart unto God so the glory of God will begin to fill your life in a much greater way than ever before. Remember, a deeper level of cleansing, a deeper level of empowerment, a deeper level of the glory. There's a deep consecration. The Bible says when the elders anoint with oil and pray with faith, there's healing. I've seen people healed and delivered as we've anointed them with oil and prayed over them. And so we're going to anoint you. We're going to pray that God sets you apart. And then the other thing that we do in these deep consecration times, we pray fast. People, you know, give um, Passover, Pentecost, upcoming tabernacles. People give to the Lord. But also, we're going to water immerse people that want to be. We're not talking about salvation here. We're not talking about that at all. We're talking about a deep consecration unto God. And Lord, I love you so much. Did you know that even to this day, a Jewish bride, when she's about to get married, she will immerse in water called a mikveh. She will immerse to separate from the past and be ready for her bridegroom. Esther was immersed in water for her night with the king. In Luke 7, 28, I say to you among those born of women, there's none greater than John the Baptist, yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people and the tax collectors heard this, they acknowledged God's justice, his righteous judgment, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purposes for themselves not having been baptized by John. That's interesting scripture to me. It says that the tax collectors heard this. These were sinners. These were people that Jesus said, if this person still won't, won't repent after all of that you did, then you're to treat them like a pagan or a tax collector. That's how Jesus viewed the tax. You know what I'm saying? It says that the tax collectors, those that were heathen, they acknowledge God's justice, his righteous judgment, because they had been baptized with John. And let me put it in another way. Because the sinners humbled themselves before God, they submitted to being baptized, immersed, and really consecrating their lives. When Jesus came on the scene, they accepted his ministry. But the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they were too arrogant. They looked at John as being some weirdo. And their attitude would have been, who are you to baptize me? I'm the righteous one. I should be baptizing you. And the Bible says that they rejected God's purposes for themselves. And they, when Jesus came, 
they rejected him. Does this make sense? There's something about people that will humble themselves and deeply consecrate their lives unto God that when the Lord comes in a powerful way, they're open and they're ready to receive him in that way. I've seen people with my eyes, even over the last couple of years, my wife and I have seen people as we've water immersed. And we're not talking about when you get saved and water immersed. We're talking about deeply consecrating your life. But we've seen people that's gone under the water and come up that have been healed of things. We have seen people that have been delivered of things. And they come to me later, Pastor, this disappeared, this went away. The Bible says that whenever the children of Israel were baptized into Moses through the Red Sea, remember how that water closed behind them and separated them from their past and separated them from their enemies that were chasing them. They were protected. I believe there's a greater level of protection and a greater level being able to go into the deeper realms of God's glory for those that will humble themselves and deeply consecrate their lives. So the children of Israel, when it was time to leave, and they were going to Sinai, they were going to a place of great revival where God's presence, His fire was going to come down. The Word of God, they were going to have an encounter with the living God. The leaders... We're going to be able to go up partway through the mountain and they were actually going to see the Lord and live. It was an amazing story. Read it for yourself. But God had to prepare them. And he gave them the Passover meal. Just like tonight we took communion to bring their life under the blood. Then it says in 1 Corinthians 10, they were baptized in the cloud and the sea. They were baptized through the cloud. That's the anointing. When my wife and I anoint you tonight, we're setting you apart. It's like going through that cloud. There's a cleansing. And they went through the waters. We're going to water immerse you. There's a cleansing. But see, that's what we can do. But then there's the two things only God can do. After that happened, the children of Israel were concerned. They hadn't actually crossed the water yet. They were concerned. The waters were parting. The Bible says that the glory of the Lord, there was like a fire, and there was also an angel. These went from the front all the way back to the back and got in between them and the the Egyptian army. This is the part only God can do. We can come under the blood. We can anoint you and pray for you. We can immerse you. But God will finish the work when he sends his glory fire and the ministry of his angels to come through and really do a deep cleansing in people. And after they were cleansed before God like that, then they could come to Sinai and they could really receive great revival in their midst. And so tonight, we're going to close now and pray. I need to do that quickly. It's been a different night, hasn't it? But I want to go ahead. Let's play something, brother. And we're going to just quickly move chairs My wife and I are going to anoint you, and then we're going to head out and get immersed. But I want you to soak a little bit in God's presence when God touches you tonight. Let's go ahead and shut down recordings, brother.
let me just share something real quick as we're about to blast the shofar. How many of you guys like the shofar? You know, it, it just, something in my spirit, and I'm sure a lot of people feel this way. You're just, man, the coming of the Lord. I mean, it just makes you think about Jesus coming and catching us away as a bride. And, but here's something about the shofar. In Jesus' day, it probably would have been similar to this, like a ram's horn. We have a lot of different kinds now, different, you know, really big ones called a Yemenite, etc. comes from the um, kudu animal, but this one would probably be uh, typical. But here's a couple things about the shofar that you probably didn't know. I want you to think about this. Number one, it comes from the word teruah, yom teruah, which is trumpets, okay? That comes from a root word in Hebrew, Torah, T-A-R-A in English, Torah. And it means a gate or a doorway. Now tell me that's not cool, guys. Come on. Y'all love the word. God, there's something about the shofar that helps to open up the heavens. And when Jesus comes, I don't, I don't fully, completely, totally understand everything about an open heaven. But I do know that an open heaven is where the enemy is parted to the left and the right and it's in God's presence and there's a there's a closeness to God you can feel his presence you feel your prayers are not hitting the ceiling and coming back you feel that your prayers are getting through to heaven but I'm gonna tell you when Jesus comes there's a group of people a remnant bride on the earth that are walking under an open heaven and that same open heaven I don't know how big it is how many square feet but it's going to be big enough to suck you right out of here to meet him in the air because the remnant bride is going to be caught up you remember me telling you about that young man would go up and catch away his bride out that window in revelation 4 i saw a door in heaven open with a voice said come up here when that archangel shouts and that shofar blast you, you and i are going to be caught up out of here through an open heaven to meet the lord in the air so a gate or a doorway. The next one is the word teruah, which means trumpets. It can also mean healing. There's been a lot of people that at Shofar Blast have experienced healing. I don't know if you knew that. It seems to release healing. Another one is a variation of the word teruah in Hebrew, and it's tabua. Okay, it's a variation of this word, but listen to what it means to yield a harvest there's something about the shofar blast that can release healing but also and y'all know this because in our prayer meetings when I felt led to blast that shofar there's something about a fear of God and a conviction that will come on a harvest field and also there's something about the Holy Spirit moving in the way of prayer intercession and a burden that will sweep into a place. So it has to do with the harvest. That burden for prayer and that, that conviction coming on the harvest field. And finally, we know from the scriptures that the shofar is linked to great deliverance and great victory in warfare. Just like the children of Israel marched around Jericho and blasted the shofar. And those walls, those structures came crumbling down. It was supernatural. Somehow the shofar plays into spiritual strongholds of the enemy coming down. And Gideon, 
With a handful of men, 300, they blasted Shofarim, the plural of Shofar. They blasted that out. And the enemy was thrown into confusion. And just a handful of people defeated a great army because of the Shofar blast confused them. So there's something about the Shofar that will bring great deliverance. There's been people that have been delivered of things at the Shofar blast. And strongholds in their life have come down. Also, the very name of God... In Hebrew, the yud heh vav heh that makes up the name of God, the four-letter word of he- in Hebrew, seems to be connected to these four different blasts. See, at this time, Yom Teruah, around the world, there's Messianic synagogues, but e- you know, even Orthodox. But what they'll do is this. They'll come together, and to blast the shofar, they want to do about a hundred trumpet blasts. So they may have several people throughout here that can play the shofar they have in position there'll be somebody in the front and they sing a lot of this so there's four different types of blasts but takia be up there singing takia you know and then it'll be like this blast this shofar will blast out da-da, and then the next one da-da, and it'll go all the way around then the next one shivarim and then you'll hear da-da, 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 and then that'll go all the way around a three distinct blasts and then teruah and it's a staccato sound and that'll go all the way around and they keep doing that until around 100 blasts. And then the very last one, Tekiah Hagadol, the, the final, the last trump. Y'all hear what I just said? The last trump. This is the loud, everybody lifts up the loudest and the strongest shofar blast they can to kind of take the roof off the place, right? And it's, it's this big blast, and that's called the last trump. And even the name of God, yud heh vav the Yud would be like the tekiah, that first blast. And it's an awakening, an alarm for people to get ready for the coming of the Lord. The hay, the shaverim, that there's a judgment coming down on the wicked, but the righteous, our judgment came on Christ, not on us, right? The vav is a nail in Jesus' arm, okay? The teruah, intercession, a weeping and a wailing for the lost. And the last one, the hay, the last trump, Christ return. And so you see, even in the name of God, yud did you know this? The Yud means an arm. The Hey, if you look at it, they have little pictures. It's a little guy going, hey, look at me. It really is. And the Vav is a nail. So even in the name of God, it's an arm with a nail in it. And something going, hey, look at the look at this. Look at the arm with the nail in it. So here's what I want to do. I want to blast different shofarim tonight. Now I want everybody to stand with me. We're going to do a series of different blasts, okay? In honor of Yom Teruah. And then we're going to do some worship. If you give me a C sharp minor. And keep bring the volume down quite a bit, okay? I'm going to try to put this up here to help catch the volume as well. All right, on a couple of these, I want you all to lift up a shout, but not on this one. So, Lord, we're asking you together at these different shofar blasts that we're going to do. And also have a silver trumpet. We're going to blast that. But I'm asking you tonight as we blast this, first off, that over river of life, everybody's agreeing with me tonight. There'll be more of an open heaven, more of a gate, a doorway opening over this ministry than we've ever had before. 
Y'all agree with me about that? Comes from that root word, Tara, a gate or a doorway. Lord, open things up for this ministry like never before. This show for is a real deep sound. I want y'all just to listen to it, not shout. But Lord, open things up in Jesus' name. This next show, for we're going to do things just kind of led by the Spirit tonight. This is what I felt God wanted us to do, okay? On this next show, for give me an F minor with this one. I want us to agree together now, Teruah, okay? I want us to agree together at this blast that there's going to be healing, okay? And there's going to be like a purging of the atmosphere of anything that's not of the Lord. Y'all agree with me? Or maybe people have just... There's, there's like some kind of a spiritual funk that they feel like in their life that they've been wrestling against. Y'all ready for this? Yes, I'm believing God tonight. I, I know you are too. There's a lot of faith in me about this. And Lord, I'm believing whether it's immediate right now, instantaneous healing, or if it's going to be a healing over the next couple of weeks or months, I'm believing God for some breakthroughs in healing right now. As I blast this, I want us to believe God to begin to purge the atmosphere. So, Lord, we're asking you tonight that wherever there's been something that has been um, oppressive and it's just been off and people need healing in their, their inner spirit, man, their soul or their body, or maybe relationships need healing, I'm asking you, Lord, to purge the atmosphere in, on, and around us in River of Life and release great healing in every area in Jesus' name. Man, y'all ready with me? Let's believe God. I'm trying to stay composed. I feel kind of like I'm wobbly. All right, this next one, when I blast this show for Brozak, if you could bring my lapel down a notch or two, it's probably going to be real distorted, it's real loud. This show for, I want us to believe God for the harvest. This specific show for, I just kind of stumbled upon it, wasn't intentional, felt led to get it. But sometimes when the intercessors are really travailing, it sounds like the intercessors. It's really neat. And so as I blast this, if you give me a C minor, as I blast this, I believe in God to open up the harvest field. And also that the Holy Spirit, let's just go ahead and pray. Lord, I'm asking you at this shofar blast, Lord, that you'll release a holy fear of God and a conviction to come down on the harvest field like we read about in Hebrides and Wales and Azusa and the awakenings and and, and the, the Jesus revival that took place in the late 60s, early, early 70s, where there was such a fear of God, such a conviction. People were gripped and they were swept into the kingdom in mass numbers. We're asking you, Lord, allow the harvest to yield or that there'll be something breakthrough. And also that a greater move 
of prayer and intercession and supplication to break forth like never before in Jesus' name. So I believe in those two things, the harvest and prayer, prayer for the harvest, prayer for revival, prayer to break forth in a new level. Y'all ready? saw it, I knew it was a God thing, and I really felt when I saw it, I felt spiritual warfare, and I want us to believe together at this shofar blast, this is the one I want y'all to lift up a shout, okay, but as we pray, I'm going to believe God for deliverance and, and victory and warfare, there's maybe been people that have had struggles in your life, and I'm going to believe God to shatter those strongholds, maybe instantaneous tonight, we have this deep consecration service, may be over the outworking of a course of weeks or months, but I'm believing God that those breakthroughs are coming. And I'm also believing God for a breakthrough for the whole ministry. So, fathers, we blast this thing out. We're going to really uh, lift up a great shout, like a roar in this place. But, Lord, I'm asking you, just like in ancient times, the walls of Jericho, that every spiritual structure that's been set up against River of Life, whether it's individual Maybe it's a stronghold in somebody's health, a mental, emotional stronghold in the soul area, in their their lives spiritually. Maybe it's strongholds in family relationships of strife or something, or a stronghold coming against the ministry overall. I'm asking God, including financial strongholds, that every work of Satan be destroyed, every demonic spirit flee. There's going to be victory and warfare. There's going to be breakthroughs. There's going to be great move of God right now. In Jesus' name, let the enemy be totally confused for River of Life of this coming year. In Jesus' name, a major confusion. Great breakthroughs. Now, I want you all to help me out tonight. Let's lift up a shout. I want him driving down the road over here. Somebody be leaning over to his wife going, what was that? Aren't you all ready? Here we go. sermon right except for the bitter herbs I thought I thought a few people might die and they went away with those bitter herbs and I had to pray for them 
I was just reading in the Bible that kid Eutychus fell asleep and when Paul was preaching fell out the window and died and wanted to go raise him from the dead. I've never had anybody die though when I preach, so I feel like, you know, I have something up on Paul. Is that right? So anyway, let's just let's try to get focused. I'm I'm losing it. But anyways, followers as we pray, we ask you we're gonna blast this silver trumpet, okay? And Lord, in the Bible times, in the temple area, over the burnt offerings and the peace offerings and all of that, there was a blast of these trumpets. It's really powerful. And Lord, this has to do with our our offering unto you. Just like Cornelius, the angel said, Cornelius, your prayers and your alms, your giving, has gone up unto God as a memorial offering. And so I want, as we blast this, I want our prayers and our worship and our giving and all of that just to go up unto the Lord as a fragrant offering. And also, when Israel went to war, the Bible said, blast the trumpet and the Lord will remember you and deliver you from your enemies. So Lord, as we blast this, we want just our offerings to go up before you, but also that you would send the glory of your spirit and you would send your angels to the north, south, east, and west and overcome our enemies, defeat our enemies on every side and give us victory in Jesus' name. On this one, y'all lift up a shout too. Lord, we bless you and we lift this up unto you now. Everything that you had lost would be restored back into you. Bring Everything that's been lost would be restored back. So, yeah, whenever I blast it, you can feel free to turn it back up. I just want to make sure that the, this gets on the recordings. But, anyways, we blast this. Lord, I'm asking you right now, this would be a D minor for me. As we blast this, we're asking you, Lord, that the everything that the enemy has ever damaged in people's lives. There's people that's had damage in relationships. They've had physical, mental, emotional damage. It's through attack. It's just the damage that was caused through warfare. However, life has chewed people up and spit them out. Lord, I'm asking you that everything that's been damaged will be repaired. Everything that's been stolen. Man, I felt that in my spirit when I said that. Well, everything that's been stolen from people, Lord, restored back sevenfold. Here at Yom Teruah, this is judgment day. But for us, this is a very positive thing because, you know, for Christians, the scales tip in our favor because of Jesus. And so, Lord, everything that the enemy has stolen from us in life or ministry, restore back seven times over and seven times better because the Bible says when a thief is caught, he must restore sevenfold. They'll cost him wealth of his house. And everything that's been put in people's lives in any area by the enemy is going to be taken out and removed. Every bit of sickness... Everything the enemy's tried to sow in people's lives, taken out. And everything that's been out of order, it's been chaotic. Maybe even a physical disorder, mental and emotional disorder. But things in life that have not been in order. 
that, Lord, now everything's going to properly align and begin to flow correctly in Jesus' name. So as we blast this out, y'all want to lift up a shout. Lord, we're believing you for restoration and jubilee at this shofar blast. Lord, even as I'm speaking this out, that the holy angels are on the move. And, Lord, there's going to be great restoration in the days to come, in the months to come. In Jesus' name, we're believing you for great restoration, both individually and corporately. Give me guys to believe with me tonight. All right, let's lift up a shout with this as well. Yom Teruah, F minor. In honor of Yom Teruah, one of these days, y'all are going to hear something like this. I'm going to blast this in just a moment, okay? But here at Yom Teruah, Lord, this is a time of the Feast of Trumpets, and I believe with everything that we're doing, we talked about at the beginning about the first fruits, very important. We talked about the communion table, and now with these different shofar blasts that are taking place. Lord, as I blast this out, Lord, here at Yom Teruah, we're believing you, Lord, for great things in the days to come. Open up this month, these fall feasts, to be very special. And one of these days, you guys are going to hear a shout of an archangel, okay? You can leave the volume up for this. Just shout of an archangel, and you're probably going to hear something like this. Y'all ready for this day? And the Lord's going to come and catch you away. Isn't that awesome? Right. Amen. All right, so I'm going to say this real quick, and I'm going to move off of it. But I'm sharing this because I really want people to be blessed. And I feel that I went through that kingdom finance. I did four different sermons. But when I went back through this at home with my family, we were talking about this. And they told me that it's just a lot of information. And so they were saying it was hard to remember everything. So I wanted to put it here where you could take this home and keep this someplace where you could look at it. Um, there were. This is basically the finances how God laid it out in the Old Testament, then you bring it to the New Testament from a New Testament perspective. So let me go through it real quick, okay? And then we're going to move on, and we got other things to cover. But the first thing is terimah, which is don't glean the corners of your harvest. What, I'm, what I really feel about that as a Christian is that as you're blessed, that the overflow of your life is blessing others. And the best example I thought of to give was we... We go out to eat here a lot of times on Saturday night, the local Denny's, and hang out. And there's a lady there that waits on us all the time, and she doesn't, you know, I know she doesn't have a lot of money, so, you know, we always try to give her a really good tip, just kind of bless her. That's, that's basically a fulfillment of this in a New Testament perspective, that from the overflow of your life, you're a blessing to other people that you see in need. Number two, first fruits. First fruits are different than anything else. It's not your tithe. And it's, um, it's something that's very special and powerful. You can read about it in Deuteronomy 26. 
But for example, let's say somebody started a business and the very first influx of finances that they made, they wanted to give God like an offering out of that, like a first fruits. Also, maybe the first of every month. Some people like myself, I like to do this. I don't think it matters too much about first fruits per se, but maybe the first of every Hebrew month or it could just be the first of of our month as we know it. But maybe just having an offering it doesn't have to be a lot, but it's just something God's laid on your heart that you give that is to him um, that's just saying, Lord, we love you, and I thank you for all the blessings in my life. Also, maybe the first of the year. But it's just something that when you read the scriptures, you see the principle that the first and the best belongs to the Lord. All right, I'm going to come back to that here in a moment. And then you have the tithe. This is the first 10% of what you make before taxes are taken out. You know, when Cindy and I get paid, first thing we do is set apart the tithe. It's not the last thing we do, it's the first thing we do. So we set apart the tithe that belongs to the Lord. I really feel very strongly that if we didn't do that, we'd be stealing from the Lord. It's His. And so we set that apart, and then we pay bills and other things with the, the left of the other 90%. But also, this is interesting. The second tithe, ma'aser is, is what's called tithe, the second tithe, have you considered maybe putting a little bit of finances back to do something special with your family on these times? You know, my family, we have a day once a week where we have like a Sabbath rest. We spend time together. We just enjoy the Lord. We enjoy each other. It's a lot of fun. And I try to have some, some finances set back so we can have a special meal and really have a good time. And, for example, this week is Rosh Hashanah, also Yom Teruah. You know, why not, just putting this out there, why not maybe have on Sunday like a special time together with your family, have a special meal, and, and just celebrate before the Lord and talk about some things that Yom Teruah means to you. You know, the coming of the Lord, looking for the rapture, looking uh, how, how our lives, examining our lives, being ready for His coming, and, and just having a special time. But see, putting maybe some finances back for those type of times. Also, this is an important one. Musaf, this is the finances that are given at Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. We're coming up on Tabernacles. Trust me, you want to sow into these times because you're linking your finances to these times and seasons of the Lord that are real powerful. This is my opinion. I feel there's something very powerful about it. So at Tabernacles time, you could give tonight if you want, but sometime here in the month of October, Maybe sowing a generous offering to the Lord. Lord, we just love you. We want to bless you at this time. And then also, a lot of people do this already. And say, Daka, this is alms to the poor and blessing Israel. When you guys write a check out, and then you add above that, and you put on there benevolence to the poor to Israel, I want you to know that's where it goes. We, we always add to it from the church as well and give some out. But man, there's some powerful promises associated with that. And then finally, free will offerings, just as needs arise in the church that may be, you know, being willing to sow financially to help out with those. So those are the seven areas. If you'll bring your finances unto the Lord the way that God shows us here, I promise you that God's blessing will settle over your finances. Now, be honest for a minute. How many of you guys really, you sincerely want the Lord's blessing on your finances? For real. One of the reasons why a lot of times places don't have great revival and a great move of the Lord is because people in that church do not have 
right hearts about money. And it locks up the heavens. It hinders things. And Jesus taught us that the love of money is the root of all evil. And a lot of times people's hearts are very corrupt when it comes to money. One of the greatest ways to break that is to begin to apply these things to your life where you begin to give to the Lord. So let me go back to first fruits real quick. First fruits back in the nation of Israel. If y'all could please shut that door. First fruits was where, let's say that there was a farmer and he had these different fruit trees. He had a field of grain. Everything that was first belonged to the Lord. And so if, an, if he had herds of cattle, the firstborn calf was to be unto the Lord. And so he might see, as the season changes, he might see a tree begin to bud some fruit. And so he would tie something on a branch to mark it. He'd see a part of a field that's beginning to come up. He might go over there and drive something in the ground, kind of mark it. And as that, that first fruits came up, he would get some baskets and go to those trees and put the, the best of that first fruit, the best, put it in the basket. He would go out there and gather the best of the grain. And he would bring those animals that were the firstborn that belonged to the Lord. And maybe he would decorate some of those calves with like garlands and he would he would you know put something on them where he could carry help carry the baskets and the grain and all that and make himself a little caravan if you will and this was his first fruits and he would make his way toward jerusalem toward the temple with his first fruits offering and people might see him along the way and celebrate with him and rejoice because they knew what he was doing and this was the first fruits unto the lord and so as we come into the first of a month i encourage you guys to consider you know, this month, I'm only sharing this because I'm trying to set an example. This month, I told my wife, we had, we gave our tithe. You know, we put on the check. We gave above that some first fruits offering. And we gave above that some to go to Israel and the poor. And we sowed that in faith. And I love doing that. I want to be a cheerful, generous giver to the Lord. Amen. And so anyway, I just really want to share that because the first fruits and basically people's tithe, really does help pay the bills here. And I thank you guys for being faithful tithers. But beyond that, things like first fruits and other stuff, that's not going to make or break us whether people do that or not. I'm sharing this because I really want people's finances to be blessed of the Lord. I really do. As a pastor, God puts a love in your heart for people. He puts a concern in you that they do well financially, that they're healthy, that they're protected, and you feel that responsibility. So that's why I'm sharing these things. Because I really believe if you'll begin to apply it, it'll change your life, okay? So take this home and maybe jot down on here some things that you could apply to your life, okay? All right, we already did announcements. And so, Lord, with that said, I speak this blessing out over River of Life. In the name of Jesus Christ, I bless you with the promises of God, which are yes and amen. That the Holy Spirit make you healthy and strong in body, soul, and spirit to move in great faith and expectancy. <clears throat> and God's holy angels be around you to protect you and keep you safe. I bless you to have supernatural strength to turn your eyes from foolish, worthless, and evil things. Instead, may you behold the beauty of the things that God has planned for those who obey his word. That any weakness in your life become a great strength in Jesus Christ. I bless you that your ears hear the lovely, uplifting, and encouraging and shut out the demeaning and negative. Your feet walk in holiness, your steps order of the Lord. May your hands be tender helping hands, hands of those in need, hands that bless. 
that your hearts are humble and receptive to one another and to the things of God, but not to the world, and that your mind area is strong, disbalanced, and full of faith. May God's grace be upon your homes that their sanctuaries of rest, renew, and refreshing havens of the Lord's awesome shalom, where sounds of joy and laughter are heard in them and unconditional love and acceptance when others consistent in your home, that your home is a place of rare abundance and durable riches. It's a place of health. It's a place where relationships are wonderful and satisfying, fulfilling, and peaceful. I bless you. And I bless you that because you offer up your first fruits and because you are faithful in your tithes and offerings before the Lord, I bless you, River of Life, that your barns and bats will overflow, that there is an abundance in your life. And the Lord is going to rebuke the devourer and open the heavens of your life and pour out more blessings in the room of contain, and that you'll have success and prosperity in your business and place of labor. And I bless you to have spiritual strength to overcome the evil one, to avoid temptation. God's grace be upon you to fulfill your dreams and visions and goodness and mercy follow you all the days of your life. That you'll, powerful, um, that you'll be a powerful, effective witness for the Lord, comfortable sharing your faith. That you have a rich, powerful prayer life. That you have a hunger for the Word of God and the discipline to study it. That you'll know the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and revelation from the Lord. That you'll have a heart of David. That there'll be praise and worship in your heart to the Lord that is pleasing to Him. And so the Lord bless you, river of life, and keep and protect you. Make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you, lift up his countenance upon you, and establish your entire life in his shalom and manifest presence. I bless you now in the mighty name of Jesus.